I think that's what's important, having authentic, moving, emotional experiences. And I think you can do that in many mediums. The world beyond. Emotion is of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michelle and Mac. Welcome back to my podcast, The World Beyond the Emotioneers of Tomorrow. I'm Michael Mack, and today my guest is Amy Jupiter, worked for Walt Disney Imagineers for many years, where she created exciting next-level immersive experiences and attractions for theme parks, for which she won several prestigious awards. She decided to broaden her impressive work spectrum, and among many others, excelled at working for a BFX company in a big feature animation as an experienced architect, as well as in real-life interactive game media. A lovely good evening, Amy Jupiter. Hello, how are you? It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Let me um, start with a quarter of quick question, and I'd like you to answer them very brief and as quick as you can. One. You live in New York City. On your day off, what are you doing? I'm walking through the city. I'm enjoying um, the people and the activities. I love to go to Central Park um, and uh, watch the people. Two. Which Disney character do you identify with most? Tigger. Three. Your favorite amusement park ride? That's really unfair. I think um, I love all of them, but if you really want to know, I love the Volo Da Vinci. <laughs> Four. Which traditional analog media are you still consuming? Um, books. Perfect. Thank you so much for your quick answers. Let me jump into the first question, Amy. Um, there seems to be an overload of stories in our daily lives. Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO... And all the other streaming sites are competing for our attention. And we already can't keep up with all the content. Why does an amusement park need to be themed as well and add to the oversaturated market of omnipresent storytelling? Is it not unnecessary to burden the guests with a storyline as well when they only want to have an adrenaline-fueled quick roller coaster experience? You know, I think that there are amusement parks, um, and then there are theme parks. And I think that you can have both of them. I think that a theme park is a group of interconnected attractions that share a common theme. And I think that IP is a different thing. So I think burdening an attraction with IP, so anything that's on Netflix or in the movies, or it makes it harder to express those themes. But we always go back to themes and you know when we tried to burden like the avatar attraction and uh avatar and but we're not taking you to that movie where you'll see jake and Natiri. we're taking you to a world so i think that if we always stay with theme and then expressed as the style of the film much like guardians of the galaxy mission breakout we obviously are burdened with the IP. So we have our characters that we know and love, but we talk about the theme of the film, which is the duality of power. So if I unplug the power, my friends get out. If I replug the power, the collector gets to win. So, you know, I think that while there's a lot of saturation in the market with IP, I think that as people who use theme as the storytelling mechanic in the volumetric world, I think that we have an opportunity 
So no, to answer your question, there is nothing wrong with the excitement of a roller coaster. But if you want to connect that roller coaster with another group of attractions in your park, then you're creating a little world, right? So as world builders, we like to interconnect things. And so I think that's the difference. I love roller coasters. There's nothing wrong with a good thrill ride. Excellent. Uh, the development of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in Shanghai won you the VES Award for the Visual FX Society for Outstanding Visual FX in a special venue. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to such an amazing attraction? What happens between the first idea and the final implementation? Well, Pirates was such a great experience. You know, I was actually a replacement for the media designer late in the game. And when I came on the attraction, it was all the media was represented by a beautiful two-dimensional painting, a static two-dimensional painting. And they thought that they'd get to the media later. But they had this very, very compelling, you know, 10-scene attraction where the goal is to put you in the middle of each of the greatest scenes in all of the Pirates films. And so the media, if they could have built those scenes, they would have, because this was such an ambitious project. So from the beautiful painting, which I call the napkin drawing of those scenes, the scenography, we got to um, bring technology that um, the reason I was there is because I come from feature animation. I come from virtual production. I was working with the people from Lightstorm Entertainment, our partners for the Avatar project, and both of us use virtual production. And so I was able to take that very elegant ride system that knew exactly where it was all the time and is in and of itself a character, um, and so lyrical, so muscular, um, and design media that matched because we had a digital twin of the attraction. So from the beginning with the static paintings, we had a big dome mock-up um, and we would move the scenes around us. The digital twin moved around us. So we were able then to go to Shanghai once the attraction was built and, and verify our media. So we were able to work online and offline, both in Los Angeles with our and San Francisco with our Industrial Light and Magic team creating the media and then travel to Shanghai with our digital twin, with the media integrated into our digital twin. And then even in the beginnings when we only had a desk chair and a bullhorn and a microphone to ride through the attraction when there was no water and there was no ride to verify these very big domes. They're all 100 feet wide and 75 feet tall. And, uh, and we were able to, with very low tech, verify our moving eye point. Remember, those scenes move with the audience as the boat moves through the scenes. So, and it, while it's very technically advanced, it's still the thrill of the original Pirates attraction being inside a boat on the water, sailing through these nighttime scenes, these huge nighttime scenes. So, It was a very exciting um, attraction to work on, but it was great to be able to use very modern technology and virtual production to execute uh, with our partners at Industrial Light and Magic. And I have to admit, it's one of the best rides I've ever been to. I mean, it's just a uh, tremendous mix of um, new technology and the ride system. I, I thought it was a great, great attraction. Um, but, I mean, you did a few, which of your many amazing award-winning creation and attractions or games or feature animation are you the most proud of? 
You know, I have to say that while, you know, they many of them, like the flight of passage um, from the Avatar, um, from Pandora, was, you know, an award-winning project. We also, at the same time, and it was very, obviously very expensive. At the same time, Jarodi came and said, do you want to take on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout? It has a very short schedule and a very little bit of money. And we were already ramped up. So I have to say that having a little bit of money at the same time as you have the most money, it was, I think I'm most proud to be able to say that we had a very successful attraction that we did with a lot of ingenuity, 3,000 years of experience. Literally so many people on that team had so much experience in a very short time and able to transform the Tower of Terror profoundly into Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, where we surprised our guests by moving the attraction, the ride system, as much as we could without obviously breaking it, because that was the rules. Like, don't mess this up, is what Joe said. Whatever you do, don't break the attraction. I'm like, well, how much do you think we can move it? And wouldn't it be funny if we could open the doors and move past the scenes? It would be funny. Like, we get to see the Guardians behind the scenes. Like, wouldn't it be funny? And they're like, don't break it. You can't change the ride system. I'm like, well, we're not asking to change the ride system. We're actually just changing the show scenes. We're just opening the doors. It's not a big deal. Uh, So, of course, because safety is our number one rule, those are not just scene doors or show doors. They're safety doors. And so, you know, it became... A very inexpensive, in the scheme of things, attraction done in a very short period of time, but I think highly creative, highly successful, um, and true to the thematics of disruption, because that is a very, you cannot miss that attraction, right? It's a very disruptive building. It stands out. But that's, I think, to answer your question, that I'm most proud of something that was so sort of um, limited in its uh, scope. I mean, I would be so much interested. I, I might assume you can't talk about it, but maybe you could give us a glimpse of what you're working on right now or what you would like to explore more in the future when it comes to your daily uh, business. Sure. I'm focusing on the built environment, so themed um, attractions. Um, I've, you know, working, I can tell you this, we worked, I, Joe and I worked with uh, Virgin Galactic to shape the experience design for their future astronauts and uh, their families as they prepare to go to space. And that involved the built environment. I had never really done the built environment and as an experience architect without any media. And so I'm focusing on both uh, the nature, uh, so what what was inspired by um, in me from working on Dizzy's Animal Kingdom, I'm working on a themed storytelling um, exhibition in a nature-oriented park (laughs) with the theme of conservation. So um, I I have the built environment. I will always go back to media. I will always stay involved in virtual production. I will always love storytelling through the medium of film. Um, I love photons. I love irtons. But I'm really learning, I think, that to be a really successful theme park designer, uh, you must really understand that 90-something percent of it is about construction. And in order to understand the complexity of construction, I think it's a responsibility of every good theme, theme park designer to understand the built environment. So that's what I'm focusing on recently. What inspires you? I mean, do you have a favorite author, director, writer? I, I don't think you get inspired by building and constructing architects. I mean, where are you looking for your new ideas? 
well, the past. Um, we stand on the shoulders of giants. I, I, I read a lot um, or listen a lot because I'm a dyslexic thinker. So I read and like both of my processes, um, I process by my eyes and I process by my ears at the same time. But humans inspire me. Human beings inspire me. I see the best of humanity in the subway systems of New York City. So we make art to tell stories about who we are. Um, and I think that, you know, we are a beautiful and compelling um, species. And um, I love that our cultures follow what we believe about ourselves. When we are starving, we tell stories about scarcity. When we are feel abundant, we tell stories about abundance. And I choose to draw stories about the rituals of belonging, like flight of passage, you know, our ability to belong. We practice ancient traditions. So I look at the past and what inspires awe, both in the miniature and the maxature in nature. Um, I think awe is disarming. I think that we, you know, we all love beauty. I think that I really do look, think that we have more in common in our understandings of beauty. Um, so a lot of art history, a lot of history and a lot of neuroscience. That's what I read. So if you get the inspiration then by, by reading or doing other things, how do you manage to make an immersive experience interesting for all different age groups and people of all different backgrounds? Well, I do think that we're all humans. I mean, I think that's a super fair question. How do you make a four quadrant film? You know, what, you know, that appeals to the child in all of us. You know, I do think that I tend to want to make entertainment for young people, but I also think that while I am not childish, I am very childlike. And I think that, you know, no designer ever says they want to make the happiest place on earth. But I feel like happy is what we put into our designs and joy is what responds from the humans that are immersed in it. I think that we live in an immersive environment. I would, people ask me what immersion means to me. And I think, well, I tell them I like getting into a hot bath. That's what I think that immersion means to me, that your whole senses and smell and is envelops you and, and touches you. So and I and you are relieved of time. Time dilates in a good hot bath. So I think that technology is a great tool. I tend to want to storytell through art. Um, I believe that, you know, storytelling is how we understand the world around us. We tell stories to get us to organize, to work together, so to grow the wheat. You know, we get us to organize so that we can build buildings. We get us to organize. So I think storytelling is a great mechanism. But I believe that thematics is the, um, you heard me say this earlier, the storytelling mechanic of the volumetric or the immersive universe. And I think that for me, transformation, um, the theme of transformation. I start as a, a, a novice in Flight of Passage and I come out an expert. I'm now competent. I have transformed from a inexperienced rider to an experienced rider. I have transformed from a human being into a Navi. I, you know, I've, I've come from a, like that chair into a soft winged creature, right? So transformation through adventure that I am somehow changed. So the immersive experiences that I choose to exert heavy editorial control on my seeds. Um, I think that experience happens in the negative space of architecture, right? This magic where the motion entities live. But the immersive experiences to me, I, I, I would love to build livable cities. I think that's an immersive experience. I think that the best of us 
helps us live together and, and work together and explore together. And I'm not into something goes terribly, terribly wrong theme park attractions. I'm into the challenge rides that we will, you know, that will teach you something and that we will do it together. And, and I love the part where we gather together. So I love immersive experiences that have us gather and, and work together. When I'm listening to you, I mean, I'm obviously talk a lot about new technologies and um, just spoken recently to somebody from NASA going on the moon. And uh, you hear all that story of being like in a digital world more and more disconnected because everybody's living in his own bubble. Um, what is your look on VR, uh, metaverse and all the social media out there? How does it affect theme park architecture or immersive experience? Well, you know, I was so inspired by the Oreas this last year where the Renaissance Opera won the award that Debbie Wong and I have continued to be in contact. And I just saw her in New York where we went to the new wing of the Natural History Museum, the American Natural History Museum, to go see the Immersive Worlds uh, exhibit. And I love the way that sort of her take on that tribrid world. Kathleen talks about, Kathleen Cohen talks about the tribrid world. And, and you see where, what won the award, the, um, the show that Debbie produced with Renaissance Opera. There are three different volumes. There's the dancing where the dancers are on stage. There's the dream volume that is technologically represented in the metaverse right, in the digital twin or the, the dream volume, which is above on screens. And then there's the traditional opera singers that are singing at the same time. So you have these three different worlds going on at the same time using highly technological motion capture, performance capture, the metaverse version, the dream volume that's above on the screens. So I think that we're able, and then we're seeing it together. So while we could, and someone at the same time could see that at home, And because people can't necessarily get to Vancouver, where this is being performed, or they can't get to New York, where it's being performed. But at the same time, we're able to extend those experiences through technology to people in a headset, to people on a screen, to people that wouldn't be able to get there. So I think that technology and what we're calling the metaverse enables us to make connections that we couldn't make because we had a pandemic or because I can't afford it. But I'm able to still experience the Renaissance opera in different ways, whether I'm in the audience in person or I'm in a headset or I'm on a screen. So it's just another tool to make connection. I do not want to be isolated. I think that when we were isolated, we used the technology for what it was good for to connect us. But I'd rather be in the Museum of Natural History with Debbie and her seven-year-old stamping on the floor and activating the floor in this immersive world that is talking about science, that is talking about the invisible, that is talking about what we cannot see, like with tardigrades and, um, you know, and, and, and these little sort of microscopic bears that are just adorable, but you can't see. So there I am in a world that I cannot see transcending having a transcendent experience through technology. So I think that there's an opportunity to bring us closer together and connected. I just think that we confuse connection and digital with authentic and proximate experiences. I think that's what's important, having authentic, moving, emotional experiences. And I think you can do that in many mediums. So let me get back to the real world. <laughs> What does an attraction yes. need actually to be successful in terms of story and theming? Is there such a thing as um, key ingredients? 
Yeah, I do actually think there are um, key ingredients is for making um, some of these attractions. Um, so the once upon a time, I think that I tend to rely on classical experience design. And so beauty, beautiful, scary, beautiful, grotesque, beautiful, awe-inspiring Something will happen to you, right? Something's going to happen to you. I love the, the, you know, who are you? Why are you here? This is going to happen to you. So we spend the queue, the queue line, the line that leads you in there, telling you what's going to happen to you in a very slow and easy way. That's why I really am not a fan of skipping the line. I understand in this how the frantic nature, I think technology has really done a detriment to the slow and wonder of the wander of a theme park or, you know, or an amusement park. I love the wander. So I happen to know that like something's going to happen to you. There's the whole sort of cue line that tells you who you are, why you're there, what world you're going into. And we call that perceptual framing. So I do think that perceptual framing is a key ingredient to the thing that's going to happen to you because it can't be the thing in and of itself, right? It can't be just that thing. So we tell them how they're going to feel like design the basic idea of design is a group of line and shape that tell your body how you're supposed to feel, right? So, and we, I, as a designer, exert heavy editorial control on the sequence of those events. So I think the sequence is a key ingredient. The thing, how you get people into your attraction is really important. I prefer beauty. I prefer hope and safety in my attractions. Uh, aspiration, like lift your chin, aspire. I love the castle. Right. I lift my chin. I feel and I think it's beautiful. I think that you can paint it so that it's a sunny day, no matter what the weather is, is kind of amazing. So I think that the key ingredient is making sure that the audience knows who they are, what they're supposed to do, that they have um, agency. I can choose the when I'm going into Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom or into Europa Park, I can pick a pathway of my own. I have many ways of getting through the park. Right. And don't, you know, avoid the train or get on the train, or, or you know, go sit by a fire. I think those are attractions unto themselves. The land itself, the park itself is an attraction. And I think the key ingredients, as you know very well, you know, beautiful things and really great designers to shape the audience's adventure to help lead them where they're going. When is technology or when is digital asset a help to you? And when is it destroying the imagination? Where is that sharp line for you? Where would you say like yes to digital media and where would you say no? So I like to think of heads down behavior and heads up behavior. Um, and I choose when I'm with other people not to be antisocial. I think that being polite and being respectful to people around you, not banging into them with your head is a really, you know, headbutting is bad. I think that when your head is up, I think that if you want to take a selfie with something that doesn't exist behind you, I think that's kind of fun. I think that being able to gather somebody around you and in a group play, a, you know, a game while you're standing there in the middle of a place, I think that could be fine. But I think heads down behavior, always having somebody having to look at their screen to know where they are or what their next attraction is, I think is kind of destructive. My theme is not anxiety. I do not like the theme of anxiety or anticipation very much. Well, now we're touching the theme park world. I mean, do you think, like, if you look at all the parks around there, do you see uh, anybody who is a 
first in class. I mean, I've just coming back, having seen the Nintendo land where they in, implement like a lot of digital gadgets, having um, the wristband where you can collect points, you need to connect it to your mobile phone. And uh, do you see anybody who's doing great, like implementing digital things in the theme park? Because for me, the industry hasn't found the right way yet. I think that what I was inspired by and why I stayed to do the Web Slingers, a Spider-Man experience, why I did that attraction, what, what inspired me is that I love the part where gesture, that your human action with no add-on would affect change. I think that the wand in Harry, you know, Harry Potter, that, that technology, I love gesture. I love using your body. So I think that we have these devices now that are attached to our bodies is kind of where we are in the tool-making you know, scenario. But I think at some point, we will have the ability to have individual, very discreet gesture, and they will know you. And I think that we have a choice to make, whether you are want to be known or whether you don't. We have the same problem, like, you know, in a park where your information is disconnected, where your actual identity is disconnected from the part where you're using your gesture. Does it know you? I want it to know what color I like. I would love it to know, but without being able to, you know, big brother follow me home. I think that, a, you know, I don't want to live in a place that I have social credit, but I still am inspired by the cultures that create these technologies. So I think that I love human gesture. And I think being recognized and seen is a human desire. And you can see the duality of that, the ethics of that. And I think we, that's the discussion we need to have now is assisted technology is amazing. I do not believe that there is necessarily artificial because it's all from us. I think that assisted technology, what will you use it for? Why, you know, where will you use it? And I think that's the question I'd love to debate about for hours, but how we're going to do it? that once in person when we meet each other again. Um, what will theme parks actually look like for you in 20 years? I certainly hope they look like what they are now and that they will be as fun and as immersive and as I again, I think we build on the past. I think that we, you know, the future looks like something reimagined of the past, like what happened to Tower of Terror. You don't want to get rid of of that huge building that we spent a gazillion dollars on to start with, right? You don't want to, but you are going to transform it. And what's the most you can do for the least amount of money in the shortest amount of time to make another attraction? I, I hope that there are roller coasters 20 years from now. I hope that, you know, we just keep expanding our dining initiatives for, you know, with immersive technologies to be able to go to worlds, to have amazing dinners to places that we could never go. I wish that we could go you know, underwater with, you know, in these attractions. I hope that we get to be adventurous to understand our world better so that we can take care of it better. I hope theme parks look exactly like they do today, except with more gesture, more humans, less distraction, um, slow down, some way to manage our, big enough to manage a really great guest experience so that everybody gets a chance to do the things they love and that they start to love other things, that we give them opportunities to entertain them in ways that, um, again, I love to fly. So I hope we get to fly more, whether it's in a real roller coaster or a synthetic roller coaster, and we figure out how to use 
you know, the simulators that move that move in in sea space and make make acceleration. I hope we get to all experience the ride leaving the planet by going getting to go on the adventure of space tourism <laughs> to get to see that we live in a borderless world. So will the immersive themed rides completely replace classic rides? Or where the focus no. is more on the ride than the theming? What do you what is your point on that? I well again, like I, I love stylized realities. I love stylized worlds. I want to go into a world that has wonky shapes and beautiful colors that doesn't necessarily look like a gray, sad city. Um, so I love to go to other planets. So when you say, like, I think of st like, I would love to go to lots of different types of worlds. I don't know if that answers your question, I, but I, I believe in, like, I love aesthetics. I love styles. I love romanticism. I love landscape architecture i'd love so i think stylized worlds make sense to me so let's jump back to the now and here but in your opinion i mean it's a tough one to answer but um what is <laughs> Great, currently thanks. the best implemented immersive experience open to visitors in your point of view so when you say immersive You want me not to talk about theme parks, right? Well, That's I, what I, you I, leave it, I leave it completely open to you, so whatever pops in your mind. I found what I loved, you know, I love the nighttime experiences with animated light and moments. I love the astrolumina that we do in these botanical gardens so that we can activate places in magical ways at night. I really love the ability to, you know, take on mystery of wandering through environments that are sort of both activated by you, activated for you, that you don't know what you're looking at, where there's illusion of fairies floating in the forest and, and, and going to, you know, sort of time traveling or space traveling in these gardens. So where you step into a different volume that takes you on a journey that is actually in nature, but is activated by lights and animation and You know, you are the ride system. You're, you're wandering um, is the ride system. I love that. But if you flew me through those slowly or if I pedaled through them like the, the Velo da Vinci, I would love that too. I love self-activated attractions. So that goes back to a technology that was from the Renaissance period, right? Human, human powered. So the best immersive experiences, I think, are transporting and that take regular environments and transform them to something that someone didn't think was there. You know, like in the garden during the day, you would never see what you see at night where things are like that you have to come back to, to a set for a second time to go, I didn't know, I didn't see that. I never imagined that it would look like that, you know, and that it could only be that place. So, I mean, you've you literally um, answered my last question already, um, but let me... Uh, Try to, to nail it down in a very short answer. Seven years from now. How do you think the future of immersive experience will look like in seven years from now? How will be stories told? What will have changed? Which genres and mediums will be the most popular then? I think the ones where we get to gather together to play. I think the ones that are transporting in that we get to play in imaginary worlds that are not limited to projection on a wall. I love the idea of translucent surfaces, of, of gesture uh, controlled, where you're using your body to paint on these transparent surfaces that we get to wander through them together. So I'm hoping that 
the price point or the complexity of these immersive experiences are not so limited by one-trick ponies that we figure out a way to get enough people in them and through them to make them compelling, that we reimagine aquariums, that we reimagine zoos, that we reimagine museums, and that we take underutilized capacity places that exist already and transform them into things that help us learn about the world around us and transport our young people to be able to imagine a better future for themselves and for our planet. And that we do that through immersive experiences and play in our parks with these fantasy worlds and that it's not just limited to, that they're unlimited worlds we can go to, including our own. Excellent. Well, um, there's nothing more to say. I know we can talk on forever and ever, um, but thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. It was wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much for your time and, and uh, for the really stimulating conversation and challenging me to have to think <laughs> it's always good during the day i'm looking very forward to seeing you soon again yes. coming over uh, wherever the world may take yes. us um, in the us or here in europe thank you so much uh, thank you for all that you do i really am so appreciative for all that you uh, support in our making of these attractions so goodbye and let's uncover more of what the future holds together in the next episode michelle Mark presents the world beyond Emotionaries of Tomorrow. A Mac One production.